C.S. Lewis. This is Fiorella de Maria bringing you the early show all the way from a very, very cold England threatening to snow. Should I say anything on the programme that strikes a chord, interests you, or, heaven help me, causes you to choke on your full English breakfast? Please let me know. As always, our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. I am seeing all sorts of references to the weather in the chat room today. Well, I tell you what, it is freezing here and it's threatening to snow. They're saying we're going to have snow overnight, which my children are very excited by, but they're also hoping it's not going to disrupt panto plans. I have just discovered from Mike that the great British pantomime tradition does not exist in the US. How can this be? How can anyone get through the Christmas season without a good panto? Um, am I to understand that the pantomime is not something anyone is familiar with here? Because my children are all taking part in one. Um, in fact, I'm going to have to swap shows with the South Africans next week to accommodate this. So I feel maybe I need to tell you all what a pantomime is. Does anyone wish to guess? Or has anyone even heard of this? Has anyone visiting Britain come across this bizarre cultural phenomenon? I thought that it happened everywhere. Maybe it just happens in Britain. But it is also, yes, the anniversary of the birth of the great C.S. Lewis. And I know C.S. Lewis features on the show quite a bit because everyone seems to enjoy his books, to have been influenced by his books. We were talking just the other day about how he died the day JFK was assassinated, so nobody noticed. But he was the sort of terribly self-deprecating Englishman who might not have minded slipping away into eternity quietly. But I am just wondering, um, looking at this little uh, bite-sized review of C.S. Lewis's life, I know so many people who have been influenced by C.S. Lewis's writings, including people who became Christians as a result of reading C.S. Lewis. And at the time, he was hugely influential when he gave his radio talks, Mere Christianity, it was, you know, quickly, quietly, everyone, you know, Mr. Lewis is on the radio. Um, you know, he, it was a hit. People really listened to him. So I just wanted to ask the question this morning. Have you been influenced by C.S. Lewis? Has your faith in any way been influenced by C.S. Lewis? I can say quite honestly that it was. I mean, I was... I was brought up uh, on you know, the Narnia stories and all the rest, um, a student for the Anglican um, for Anglican ordination recommended the Cosmic Trilogy, and over the years I read most of his adult books: um, Mere Christianity, The Screw Tape Letters, The Four Loves, um, what other ones? The Great Divorce. Quite a few of them, in fact. There, there are some I haven't. I just, in fact, finished reading The Pilgrim's Regress which I had somehow or other managed to miss. I'm going to review it quite soon on the Fiorella files. So I'd say I've got through a lot of his books, Grief Observed, Surprised by Joy. And I have mixed feelings about them. Some of them, um, the screw tape letters I love. I'd say it's probably my favourite of C.S. Lewis's nonfiction writing. And I was very influenced by mere Christianity, even though 
she found it very frightening, very difficult reading in places, but then spiritual reading should be challenging. Four Loves loved the fact that he actually talks in that book about the importance of friendship, though he breaks down what, what love means, the different kinds of love. In a world where friendship has almost completely disappeared as a concept, I mean, really close, affectionate, loving friendship, there's always assumed to be a sexual element to friendship now. Um, I, I found that really beautiful. There were aspects of it that I felt had not aged quite so well. So I'm just wondering, did C.S. Lewis have an impact on you? Certainly, in my case, yes, 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 with capital letters. Screwtape letters and mere Christianity, I think the major, the major impact for me was it, it made me aware of the details of life and how much the little details, the little struggles of life are so significant to our spiritual growth. Um, that's what you see in the, in the screw tape letters, the way the soul is tempted by silly things, almost, distracted from what's going on in church by that woman's silly hat or the, you know, the, the man who's singing a bit out of tune, the way the demon works on the areas of his life that aren't going so well, his relationship with his mother, for example. I just found it absolutely fascinating. So it's, have you been influenced by C.S. Lewis and how, and was it a particular work that did so? Everyone's so cold. Oh my goodness, look at the bunny rabbits. The bunny rabbits are all cuddled up. Oh, Jacqueline, that is so unbelievably sweet. Older buns cuddling with adults. That is just so sweet. They do look very, very snug. You keep them ever so cosy, Jacqueline. Ah, uh, Philip, pantomime. Um, that's not quite what pantomime looks like in this country anymore, though I should think that's where it originates. So European mime artistry and things like that. What you've got here in the chat room, please sign into the chat room so you can see the pictures. But yes, Philip has put a picture of what looks like a mime artist, you know, with the white face, with the black tear in black and white and uh, a hat and with, with an apple. That looks to me like a European mime artist. I suspect that the British style pantomime probably originates there. Well, the pantomime tradition, it's become associated with Christmas. I don't know if it always took place this time of year, but pretty much every theatre has a panto. And... Pantomime traditionally is a fairy story, Cinderella, Snow White, Peter Pan, uh, you get the idea, and there will be songs, it's usually at least semi-musical, some dance numbers, a proper entertainment, suitable for all ages, lovely bright costumes, there'll be quite a bit of slapstick humour. There's also slightly quirky traditions like the old lady figure, Widow Twanky, or there's always an old lady figure, is usually played by a man dressed as a woman, and the hero, Aladdin or um, or Peter Pan or whoever, or the handsome prince, is usually played by a girl dressed as a boy. Um, so it's, it's slightly subversive, but in a generally fairly harmless way. You know that it, it all... In, it's, it's all within, within the context of this entertainment. And the bigger theatres will have a celebrity or two, someone from a soap opera, someone from children's television. 
we'll be playing, you know, the good fairy or something. There's a lot of audience interaction, which you normally don't get in a British theatre. So um, if, you know, the baddies creeping up behind the hero, everyone will shout, he's behind you uh, to try to get the, you know, to get the actor's attention. And the actors will argue with the audience. There's a lot of, oh, yes, he is. Oh, no, he isn't. This sort of thing. When the baddie comes on, everyone boos. When the hero comes on, everyone cheers. You know, so it's quite rowdy. Um, there'll often be um, songs where they'll get the children in the audience to take part and they'll be throwing sweets out into the audience for people to to catch um, normally there'll be a moment where they invite young children to come up onto the stage to take part in a song they get them all singing a nursery rhyme or something and then they get given sweeties um, and sent back to, the, to their their places so it's it's quite an uproarious sort of entertainment i've always had mixed feelings about it because watching it as a child it was just hilarious i just laughed along you know that sort of thing I found being called onto the stage really traumatic. I was five years old and I just absolutely hated it. I just remember someone dressed as Mother Goose sticking her head around the door and um, being escorted onto the stage and everybody finding my foreign name particularly hilarious, as I recall. Um, it, it, was, it was not a nice experience, but most children love it. I, I guess I'm just really antisocial or something. But watching it as a child, it's just funny. As an adult, excuse me a minute, I'm going to sneeze. No, I'm not. Okay. Uh, sorry, winter cold's coming on again. As an adult, you notice all the double entendres. And in fact, the scripts are very carefully written so that children find them really funny. And adults get all the adult jokes. All those references to fairies have a double meaning. Yeah, that sort of thing. And also, the slapstick humour looks a lot crueler when you see it as an adult than as a child, you know, I found myself thinking, oh, that does look a bit painful throwing that person across the stage like that. So maybe when we're as adults, we just take it a bit more seriously, but it's supposed to be jolly good fun. However, in recent years, it's become harder and harder to perform pantomime because everybody gets offended by everything. So Aladdin is accused of being cultural appropriation. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs is accused of being disabledist. Um, Sleeping Beauty is accused of encouraging assault because he kisses her when she's asleep. Or same with Snow White. You name it, there is always some way. And don't even let's go to Peter Pan and the scene with the Native Americans. So it's become a lot more difficult. And in fact, the director of our local pantomime says she gets letters of complaint every single year about various things of that nature. However, my children's skate school does a panto on ice. It takes it to a different level. And this year they're doing Alice in Wonderland. And I've mentioned that two of my children are in, in principal roles. One of them is Tweedledee. The other one is the Mock Turtle. The other one's uh, one of the cards, I think, or roses or something. And it's taking over life somewhat. So I will have to swap shows next week uh, just to accommodate uh, one of the days of the, of the panto. But it's it's one of those it's one of those things. It's it's I think it's a perfectly good fun Christmas tradition and for some children it's the only time they get to see a theatre to actually go, go to a theatre because we don't unfortunately we have a lot of you know we have a lot of theatres but they're reasonably expensive to go to so most children don't get quite so much of an opportunity to see live drama so it's exciting and it's, it's good fun so that is the great British panto tradition um, and should the 
crusade channel pilgrimage to England ever happen and happened to be in December, though I don't imagine anybody would anybody would want to travel in December. If it should happen to be then, we'll all have to go to a panto and then go for afternoon tea. It is 21 minutes past the hour you are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. If you've missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of The Early Show as a podcast, same day from crusademax.com. And we are talking about the birthday of C.S. Lewis. Have you been influenced by C.S. Lewis's writing? Has your faith been enriched in any way by C.S. Lewis's writing? And the great English panto tradition where... People dress up in funny costumes and reenact fairy stories and get everybody to boo and hiss and uh, take part. It's also that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas. It's contest time to take part in the competition and get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes. Go to crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. You can get tickets and listen out for the soundbite and call in. I think I got the jingle right this time. There might even be a sound bite at the end of this show. It is getting very, very cold. And I don't know about what's happening. You're I'm seeing a lot of temperature readings and things. I'm still, I'm still trying to adjust to the Fahrenheit. But yes, it is expected to snow and probably snow quite a bit. But the children want it to snow so they can go sledging as long as it doesn't disrupt the panto season or Christmas Good morning, Dr. Torres. Now, okay, slightly tricky subject this morning. Um, and it involves the subject of horror houses. Oh, Denny Sem saying, I loved C.S. Lewis when I was younger. Would you say it influenced your faith? I think, even though he wasn't Catholic, I think he was, he, he went, I mean, a mere Christianity, I mean, he, he went to the basics of Christianity in a very good way. Um, I don't think I even knew when I first started reading his uh, his stories that he wasn't Catholic because uh, I think he he was able he was able to describe the essentials of the Christian life so vividly and so in such a in such a compelling way. I, I think that's what and such an entertaining way. I mean, I, I laughed as much as I was shocked by some of his books. Horror houses. Sorry to put a dampener on an already frosty morning. But there is a question rather raging at the moment in Britain, and that is, what do you do with horror houses? Oh, Denny Semson read the science fiction books. Yes, Cosmic Trilogy came up the other day. Definitely everybody should read the Cosmic Trilogy and the Screwtape Letters. Everyone should also read the Screwtape Letters. But yes, the Cosmic Trilogy, absolutely amazing left me lying awake thinking about it. Some time ago, the subject, the ugly subject of Jimmy Savile came up again. Jimmy Savile, as many of you will know, is thought to have been the most prolific sex offender in British history, certainly that we know about. Um, for many years, or all through his lifetime, he was a national treasure. Uh, which was probably asking for something to go horribly wrong. He was very much loved, eccentric Englishman. He was always on the television. He hosted a music show called Top of the Pops for years. He hosted a number of children's programmes. 
an integral part of my own childhood, Jim will fix it, you name it, all of that. There were many rumours and many allegations during his lifetime, all of which were suppressed, none of which came to anything anyway. And after he died, he had a huge funeral in a big Catholic cathedral and people lined the streets to say goodbye to his coffin as it went past. And it then emerged that, in fact, he had been a massive sex offender on the premises of the BBC. Now, he owned a beautiful little cottage in Glencoe up in the highlands of Scotland. It's an absolutely stunning building, an old crofter's cottage, I think. And the the scenery, I've got the picture in front of me, the scenery is, is just amazing. It's a very remote but it's it's on a road, but it's a very, very quiet place. And you can imagine if you wanted some quiet time and you wanted just a bit of time to write, to paint, to do whatever, to go walking, this would be the retreat for you. Over the years, it has been a target for vandals since the story of Jimmy, Jimmy Savile's crimes emerged. It has been targeted. So this is since 2012, more or less. It's got graffiti all over it. Windows have been smashed. It's become derelict. Nobody wants it. Nobody uh, nobody can really cope with it. And people are asking the question. I'm actually putting a picture of it in the chat room. People are asking what they should do with it. And Dr. Torres is saying, raise the house to the ground, put a bronze plaque on the site that reads, here lies a prolific serial killer, here lives a prolific serial killer, and here are the names of his known victims, he was an evil SOB. Well, that has been one of the plans, actually, is just some people just say, just raise it to the ground. There's, there's simply no point in keeping it there. It's always going to be a target for people's anger. Um, and no one's going to want to live in this thing. It's it just the, the association and wondering, wondering what he even did in there. It just it just doesn't bear thinking about it. Nobody really wants this little blot on the landscape. Others have suggested demolishing it and rebuilding it as something completely different. Because a previous owner of the cottage, in fact, before Jimmy Savile, was a very famous Scottish mountaineer called Hamish uh, Hamish McInnes, Dr. Hamish McInnes. Um, you know, he was a, a great character. And one of the ideas is maybe if they demolished it, they could name it Hamish House and just have it as a family home, but just completely new building. Just erase the memory that way. But... The general feeling is that even though it would be a lovely monument to Hamish McInnes, who was, I gather, a very good man, the association with Jimmy Savile is so strong and so recent that it's it's difficult to see how you could erase that memory. And also, other people have said that Hamish McInnes was an extremely humble man, even though he you know, had a hugely successful career. He was actually very humble, and he might not have wanted, in fact, he almost certainly would not have wanted a museum or a plaque even or anything commemorating him because it it just wasn't in his nature. He he, he was very quiet, you know, very quiet and very private man. Um, this particular cottage is always going to be known as Jimmy Savile's lair. Um, he didn't even 
live in it that often. He didn't stay there that often. Apparently, when he did go, he used to sleep in his van um, outside the cottage. Just don't ask. Um, the women in the area apparently didn't like him. Um, so, yes, the general feeling is just get rid of it. Just burn the thing to the ground. Mary's diary saying, I agree with Dr. Torres. I would even go so far as to salt the ground. Well, I think it should be exercised. I think, I think they should definitely get a priest in. Um, but you see, this does happen from time to time. You get a, a building that has such horrible associations that it's very hard to imagine that anyone could ever live in there again. Um, there was... Um, uh, probably the most infamous address in England at one point, Gloucester Road. No, sorry, I'm not saying Gloucester Road. No, so infamous, I can't remember. Cromwell Road. And this was the house on this street where Frederick and Rosemary West um, abducted, tortured and murdered young girls. And they, they found, I think they found the remains under the floorboards. And Frederick West committed suicide in prison during the trial. And Rosemary West eventually went to prison for the rest of her life. They had to demolish the house. There was no way anyone wanted that address. Uh, no one was going to want to live there. And Dunblane, where the shooting happened, they had to demolish the gym. No one lived there. It was a children's gym in a, in a school, in a primary school. They had to demolish it and rebuild it. So I wonder if that is just the only thing that can be done in these situations. Philip is saying, I'd live there, have a priest exercise it if I could get it on the cheap, uh, the, the cottage presumably, charge admission to the curious weirdos, it's picturesque. I'm not sure I would want to profit from people's morbid curiosity, to be quite honest, but it's interesting you say you'd, you'd be prepared to live there, you know, get, yes, yes, absolutely, get, get a priest to exercise it, then what does it matter? I suppose is what you're saying. Um, if it's if it's been exorcised, whatever horrors happened there, we had to get our house blessed. We had to call a priest in when we moved in because we discovered that some very unpleasant things had happened in the house in the past. But this is the problem, isn't it? An awful lot of houses have nasty histories, uh, and the older the house, the more likely it is that something um, immoral, cruel, frightening will have happened at some stage. I suppose if there is no association, there's no particular reason to demolish every house where that happens. But for the peace of mind of the family who move into it, it may be necessary. In fact, I think it should happen that there should be some attempt at breaking with whatever that horrible heritage is. I suspect what is going to happen with this cottage is they will end up destroying it. I don't. I think it's almost a given that it will be demolished. Whether they will build a house on the same site is, well, it's a, it's a matter of some debate. I suspect they will still struggle to find somebody to buy a house which has that sort of association. I just, I just think even a new building... It's the location as much as anything else, that isolated place, you know. Um, Maggie's saying, we've had our house blessed. I think no matter if you move into a home that's been lived in or a brand new home, you should have it blessed. Absolutely. Um, and interestingly, I, I wonder if this is the case in the US as well. We would get our house blessed at Epiphany as well and chalk the chalk over the door. Um, do, do you have a similar tradition, Catholic tradition? In the States, you know, getting the priest to come round. Um, in Malta, the priest used to go house to house. 
there'd be a little procession. And it was always a bit awkward because everyone would want to give him a glass of whiskey as a thank you. Um, can you imagine it? I don't know how he really finished the, finished the round of the parish. Uh, but it was very, very common to do that. But I still think it's a very nice tradition um, to just to pray to, you know, set the past to rest and pray for all those who are currently living in the house. Um, Philip, for all the evil that takes place at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, we haven't destroyed that house yet. Uh, what happened there? Um, Maggie saying sometimes people can't get over the bad things that have happened. The home itself isn't evil. It was the person in it. If it's an issue for the people in the area, just demolish it and sell the land. Yes, I think the I think the, the local people cannot cope with it because the papers also exposed it as Jimmy Savile's horrible home. It's got that association now. But also, I think I think it would always be a target for vandals as well. I, I just I just can't imagine that coming to an end, all that anger. Anyway, we've got to go to an ad break on that cheery note. Um, but do keep the comments coming in and do stay tuned. You are listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella de Maria. Our call-in telephone number is 844-527-8723 and the chat room is open at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. We'll continue in a few moments here on the Crusade Channel, live talk radio the way it should be. Insomniacs and those of you catching the show's rebroadcast at midday. For those of you just joining us, you're listening to the early show with your hostess from across the pond, Fiorella de Maria. Our call in telephone number is 844-527-8723. That's 844-527-8723. And the Crusader Stadium chat room is open for your commentary as well at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. Do talk to me. Do join the conversation. I had my beef eater full English breakfast this morning, so I am feeling deeply energised. But what on earth was that outrage? I hope nobody is suggesting that I'm flying on my broomstick. Yes, Dr. Torres. Uh-oh, a song about Fiorella Files. Appropriate intro music? Good grief. Um, I, I will have you know that um, if I were ever to fly, no, it would not be on a broomstick. There we are. Um <clears throat> witchy woman there is no witchy male song okay oh i see so that's it's, it's sort of appropriate to the topic 
Not to me. Thank you, Maggie. Just for just to clarify, Dr. Torres, yes. Keep laughing, that's fine. Yes, if I did walk into the situation, didn't I? Um Philip said uh, before the <laughs> Before we went to the ad break, said, for all the evil that takes place at 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue, we haven't destroyed that house yet. I was like, oh, what happened there? Um, and it's um, it's the White House where the president resides. I, yes, I, I really I really walk into those situations, don't I? Sorry. I, I now know the president's address. That's great. Um, if you have missed the show so far, we are talking about horror houses. The cottage owned by serial sex offender Jimmy Savile has been a target for vandalism for years. Windows smashed, graffiti everywhere. Nobody wants to live in it. Nobody wants it defacing the landscape. So what to do? The general consensus is it should be raised to the ground. There is one plan to demolish the cottage and build on the same site a new family home and name it after a previous occupant, Dr. Hamish McInnes. However, it's a bit debatable as to whether anybody would be prepared to live in that sort of environment because of the association with Jimmy Savile, even a different building. A lot of people suggested getting a house exorcised, getting it blessed. It's not the house that's in the wrong, it's the people who lived there. And um, I was saying that it's a bit of a tradition, uh, an epiphany, to get your house blessed anyway, to get the priest to come round. And Maggie was saying, we have that same tradition here, but because the priests are in limited supply, the patriarch of the family does the blessing. Uh, that's beautiful. And do you chalk the um, the letters B C B C M? Uh, over the door um it's 19 degrees in michigan right you're off to a cold winter as well it's supposed to snow tonight over here let's see um mary's dowry is saying off topic but i have a friend who's in hospital dying she's waiting for a palliative care bed long story short she's been away from the church for 40 years I've been trying for the last few days to bring her back and there's been some progress though she's put off going to confession anyway I would like to ask you of your charity to pray for a return before she dies. Her name is Susan. Thank you in advance and God bless and reward you for your prayers. Please could we all storm heaven for Susan. Can we all do that now? Um, th thank you for sharing Mary's diary. Absolutely. We need to pray. Uh, well, a, a friend, an old friend of mine died earlier this year and he had wanted to become a Christian all his life but his wife was very hostile to the idea and he never felt able to make the, the move without her blessing uh, if that's the correct word and you know when he was in a hospice he'd been moved to palliative care late diagnosis leukemia and he was asked if he had any Special requests, he said he'd like a pint of Guinness, a flutter on the DGs, and could he please be baptised? So he was baptised, not long before he died. It's never, in this world, in this life, it's not too late. Um, Denise M prays, prays for Susan's return to the church. Um, oh, Maggie, always topic, never fear under files. We love fear under files. Thank you, Maggie. Um, I'm sure um, I'm sure Mike would never suggest that I, I fly around on a broomstick. There we are with a pointy hat. <laughs> um, Dr. Um, hey, I was merely asking a question jokingly. I was going to add Maggie O'Connell's name to Fiora the Files. Yeah. 
Um, you just, you better just, uh, you you better just watch yourself, <laughs> Dr. Torres. You're you're um, skating on thin ice. Not that I've got ice skating on the brain or anything. Um, Maggie saying we'll definitely add Susan to our rosary. Lovely. Um, and then said, I live with King Dude. I got super thick skin. Plus, I have to deal with you lot every day. Absolutely. We're, we're like we're like one big noisy family, really, aren't we? Um, Philip is saying in Connecticut they demolished Sandy Hook Elementary School where the massacre took place and built a new one. I believe the Pettit House in Cheshire where he murdered his family was demolished, so it's not an uncommon response to tragedy. Yes, I think it's it's a more recent... I mean, it, it seems to be happening more and more, particularly where a, an address becomes completely infamous. Um, somewhere like a school, uh, really in Dunblane, I think nobody... It was, it was a particular room. It was the gym where the, the shooter opened fire. And I think just nobody could bear entering that room again. You know, And I completely understand that. So uh, it was it was demolished. They they put a, a memorial, you know, a plaque to the, with the names of all the children who died, and then they they built a new gym. I think it is a more recent response. I don't remember when I was a child there was a very grisly murder in my town and in a house, in a private house, and the family moved away because they couldn't bear to stay in the house. But they sold the house to somebody else. You know, some family moved in there. I couldn't have done it myself. Thus, the association would have been terrible. But uh, it it seemed to be a slightly different, maybe different culture at the time. I don't know. Uh, but I, I absolutely see why it's becoming a response. And I think when it comes to this cottage, it it just it seems to be the only possible. What is this, Doctor Torres? This is Broomhilda and her motley crew. Remember them. No. <laughs> uh, wrong country. Sorry. Um, we had we did have sort of witchy characters, though. We had the worst witch. We had, well, we gave the world Harry Potter. We had Meg and Mog. That was the, ca the cartoon witch that I grew up with. It was Meg and Mog. Um, and the, Meg was a really useless witch with a cat who was also a bit clumsy. And it was mostly fairly slapstick humour. Oh, the king dude is saying, I would never pantomime or insinuate that Fiorella Files is a witch or even witchy. Thank you. That's all right. It's cleared that up then, hasn't it? It is also, by the way, National Electronic Greetings Day. So send all your friends an electronic greetings card. Um, I will admit that I don't do Christmas cards anymore. I do electronic Christmas cards. It just got too expensive to send cards all the way to Malta. And... You do get some really beautiful ones now, including religious ones, religious-themed Christmas cards that, that that light up and light your way to the, the manger. There's some quite pretty ones. Ashley saying, prayer said for Susan. Yes, let's just remember that. Note that one down. You know, things can happen in those last moments. And incidentally, the nurses who looked after my friend said that after he'd been baptised, he, he'd been, up until that moment, he'd been very, very frightened. He was really quite scared to die. He had very little time to prepare. I think he died just a week after diagnosis because it was so late. He'd been in complete denial about how ill he was. And he, he was scared. You know, he, he, he really was afraid to, to let go. And they said he wasn't sleeping because he was afraid that if he went to sleep, he wouldn't wake up. And after he was baptised, the nurses said he just completely calmed down. He was very much at peace. He was sleeping better. He was able to make the most of those final few days. 
So let's let's pray for a miracle for Susan. Um, oh, Dr. Torres, that Brit witch sounds like Angela Lansbury in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. Oh, I do remember Angela Lansbury. She was great in Bedknobs and Broomsticks. I loved that film as a child. I I dreamed of flying away to magic kingdoms on my bed. You remember the way you know, they turn the bed knob, they turn the, the knob on the bed, the bed knob, and then they all fly off to different places. I thought that was just wonderful, and that that scene at the end where they they magically get all the suits of armor and things to go out and fight the German invasion. Oh, it was perfect. Yes, bed knobs and broomsticks is one of those Disney classics I would happily watch over and over again. My children loved the Portobello Road sequence where they all start dancing. You know, there's Indian soldiers dancing. It's supposed to be the war, so there's there's uh, people from all over the world in London. They've all um, come over to fight. Um, so it's, it's a very colourful scene. Um, there we go. Right, so... I'm supposed to say this. I, I just heard the advert. I think he says it rather better, but let me say it again. It's that time of year to have a merry and manly Christmas, to take part in this competition and support the Crusade channel and to get the chance to win one of over $5,000 worth of prizes. Go to uh, crusadechannel.com forward slash Mary. Buy your ticket, listen out for the soundbite and call in. There we are. There are Prizes for boys, prizes for girls, prizes for adults. There's a prize for everyone. And if you've missed the show so far, never fear. You can get the whole of the early show as a podcast, same day, from crusademax.com. By the way, I'm currently working on another Father Gabriel mystery. So if you happen to be strolling past the Founders Trading Post, do buy a few books. Clear some space because Missing Presumed Lost will be appearing on the shelves in April next year. Closely followed, I hope, by May Day. So there we go. Ashley bought her tickets yesterday. Um Oh, Philip is saying, have you made any progress on your family movie list we helped you with? Yes, I noted down uh, The Goonies and various other um, Super 8, The Dark Crystal, In Desert and Wilderness. Um, now, here's the thing, and I need to ask your advice, please. There's another film that my children would like to watch. It's actually an animation, an anime film um, called The Grave of the Fireflies. And apparently it's the finest anime film that has been made by Studio Ghibli. It's, 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 it's regarded as absolutely their masterpiece. However, unlike My Neighbor Totoro and Ponyo and some of the other ones they've made, it's very dark. It's actually a 12 certificate in Britain, so only my older children will be able to watch it. And it's about two little Japanese children struggling to survive in Japan in the last days of the Second World War after their city has been firebombed. And I gather it deals with very hard hitting subjects like starvation, uh, war violence, um, the, the death of parents, this sort of thing. It's supposed to be very, very beautiful and really a testament to uh, well, the, the courage and resilience of children in these sort of situations. I've also been told it's pretty balanced. I was a bit a bit uncomfortable to begin with, but because I, because I read that South Korea had not allowed its distribution because uh, South Korea said that it, it was Japan trying to justify its involvement in the Second World War. But it seems to me um, 
could you, uh, Philip is saying, never heard of it. Could you post the name? Okay, let me just, in fact, what I'll do is I'll try and find a link and post it in the chat room. Just one second. The Grave of the Fireflies. Here we are. Um, and I think there have been, um, that doesn't sound right at all. Let me just check. Um, grave of, hang on. Here we go. I think it's actually an old one being remade because it's saying 1988 here and I thought it was a little bit more recent. Um, but anyway, here it is. I'm just going to send you the link here. Grave of Fireflies. Okay. Right, I've just put a link in. Um, Maggie said, here's the first review I just read about it. The movie is very sad and would be too scary for kids. It shows the brutality of the victims of war, uh, which is an important message, but they have to be old enough to handle it with maturity, extremely violent and disturbing. Okay. Uh, Philip is saying, I'll review it for you. Thank you, Philip. That'd be great. Um, I tell you what, why don't you review it? Then you could phone in and we could, we could talk about it. The Grave of Fireflies. Um, it's yes that's the picture that the post has been put in the in the chat room i i felt uneasy because on the one hand i don't want to shelter my older children from the horrible realities of the war and i gather it is it is a very very moving um animation but i've i've also what i have read on imdb and other sites like that is it is absolutely gut-wrenching and has a, a very very hard-hitting ending which younger children and the more sensitive may struggle with so i don't know i may have to watch it first just to just to see how i cope with it um maggie's saying most of the reviews say it is sad and disturbing because there's no fun sidekick it shows the true story of war well you see in a way i would rather if the children are going to learn about war that they learn about what it was really like I wouldn't want them to see a kind of disnification of war. If they are going to look at that sort of subject, I'd like it to be realistic. Um, Ashley's saying, is it a specific war or just a made-up war? No, it's the Second World War. It's the final days of the Second World War in Japan, where you know, the country's in ruins. Um, there are, uh, you know, people are starving. That, that's, I think, is the context. So... Part of me would like them to see it. I also would like the children to be aware that people on both sides suffer during war. You know, children suffer, you know, whichever the country the country they're from. Um, Maggie's saying exactly how I see that subject too. They need to know the horrors of war so that when war is discussed, they aren't on the side cheering for it to happen. War is death. Yes, absolutely. And I think that... Certainly, I, I really remember when uh, when I was a child, you had the 50th anniversary of the Second World War, the beginning and end, a lot, lot of very famous moments, and, you know, El Alamein and things like that, over that period of six years, were being commemorated. And I remember seeing a documentary about the students' revolt, and a German woman, an older German woman who had been through the war, saying that it was really difficult for them because their children would turn on them very angry and say, what did you do? What crimes did you commit? And she said, they never asked how we suffered. He said, well, you know, I was very young during the war. I didn't kill anyone. 
Um, I very nearly got killed many times. And it just it made me aware as a child that, yes, people suffer on both sides. And you know, the, the majority of people, you know, women, children, they just get caught up in wars over which they have no control. Um, so yeah, Scotty will be saying it's World War Two. So we'll see. Well, I'll be interested to know, Philip, um, what you make of it and whether you think it is uh, it's suitable or at what point it is suitable for children. Because the thing is, with certification, um, we have, I think, similar cert- certification in Britain to the US. You have U Certificate Universal, UC particularly suitable for young children. Um, You have PG, parental guidance. So they generally say probably not suitable for under eight, but it's up to the parents. Um, 12 certificate, 12A, you can watch it if you're under 12, but only if you have an adult with you. 15 certificate, 18 certificate. And most of the time I keep to those guidelines, but sometimes... Uh, a film will be say a 12 or a 15 and I'll look to see on IMDb, IMDb why it has been given that certification and I'll think well actually I think my children can cope with this I think they're not going to be corrupted if they see somebody you know drinking a beer or smoking or or whatever in other cases I'll take a look at the film and I think actually it's uh, it's only a PG or it's only a 12 I don't think my children are ready for this. I I think they will be unduly distressed by it. So sometimes as a parent, these are their guidelines in terms of what you show in the house, in in the privacy of your own home. Sometimes you know your children better than anyone else. Um, You have to make a decision. Um, Ashley saying, yes, I wonder which age would be be appropriate, 10 years old, too young. I think it might be. It is itself. It says twelve certificate for UK. It has different certifications in different countries, which is also a little bit confusing. Um, I suppose different countries have different criteria, um, and I did find it interesting that South Korea did not allow it at all. So I don't think I would allow my youngest child to watch it. Just my gut instinct is she's too young, and she just she doesn't need to have to grapple with these things just yet. The older ones, though. Um, Philip saying, my son is nine. We've watched most of the big war movies, Private Ryan, Fury, some of Band of Brothers. He's at the age where he has a romantic view of the military. So my approach isn't for everyone, but I think he needs the reality of war. Yeah, I, I, that's that's rather my feeling, actually, is that uh, it, it's, part of the, it's part of the discussion and it's part of their development, their understanding of you know, what war really means. And I think... As the Second World War slips out of living memory, it's perhaps more and more urgent to do that, um, just to to make sure that your children do not get a romanticised view, because it's very easy to romanticise the Second World War. I feel that you know we can we can almost create a mythology about it, um, and the the early war films that were made. In, in the 50s and early 60s. I mean, they were excellent films. In many ways, they're great, very gripping films, you know, The Great Escape and all the rest. But well, The Great Escape is quite harrowing. But because of the time they were made when violence wasn't typically shown, they do sanitise the details. If you look at, for example, Carve Her Name with Pride, uh, which is an extraordinary film in many ways, but about the SOE women, the the female special agents who were sent from Britain parachuted into enemy territory to help the resistance in France mostly. 
um, a lot of them died horrific deaths in the concentration camps um, and having usually been tortured by the Gestapo first. And they do rather gloss over those details in those old black and white films. Probably because they you know, didn't want to shame the women by showing them in very degrading situations. I don't know. Also, it just was not done to depict violence that graphically at the time. But I think it could maybe give the impression it was maybe not quite that bad. So, yes, you've got to show it, show it as it is. Um, uh, Maggie, uh, sorry, I've got a bit behind with my my comments maggie saying i honestly think you as the parent know your child best absolutely um philip is saying maggie has met my boy he's pretty well adjusted yeah i think if you think they can handle that sort of war view then by all means go for it but if you have a very sensitive kid i would just think about it it's very well adjusted philip you have a wonderful young man yes i think sensitivity is part of it um uh, it's you know, I have, uh, you know, one of my children, you know, he's um, very interested in war stories and things like that. He is very sensitive. Um, you know, he, he is upset by the sight of people suffering. And I'm not sure I would particularly want to put him through the emotional torture of watching things like that when he probably doesn't need to be told that war is brutal. He already has quite a strong, um, strong sense of that. Uh, whereas another, another of my children would probably take it on the chin a bit more. So, um, you know, there we go. Scotty Bobby saying no problem with the war going out of our memory. US always starting new one. Well, and this is it, isn't it? It's about what's that? That saying, you know, he who does not remember the past is condemned to relive it, and those who study the past are condemned to watch other people reliving it. Uh, yes. You know, we perhaps if we perhaps if we don't stop to think about what causes these these situations, we will just keep, you know, keep going through and through the cycle of violence. There we are. Gosh, this is a profound conversation for this early in the morning. Thank you for your contributions, everyone. It's um, it's very useful to me because, you know, there is no parenting textbook. There is no handbook. Um, Andre, good morning. Haven't um. Uh, haven't seen you in the chat room for a while, and now I can see why. I have fallen ill suddenly about two weeks ago with a condition that hints at Lyme's disease, despite negative Lyme disease test results. I have joints, pain, and difficulty walking. I'm going to see a functional doctor in Cincinnati tomorrow. He specializes in joints problems, including Lyme disease. Um, lived in Cincinnati for a long time. Lyme disease is my natural suspect. I only share this in case somebody has experience and helpful advice. Sorry to be off topic. Prayers welcome. No, no, don't worry about being off topic, Andre. That's awful. Um, well, what I would say is, um, or I've never had it myself, fortunately, but a friend of mine some years ago uh, had Lyme's disease. They did not diagnose it uh, correctly it's quite easy i think to misdiagnose it and she was diagnosed with ms um, it was a terrible time for her because she did the symptoms were so terrible the neurological symptoms and it was some years before they got to the bottom of the real problem because she was being treated for the wrong illness they realized she had in fact had lyme's disease and if they had caught it quickly enough they could probably have prevented her getting ill in the first place but they certainly could have treated her successfully so if you have a gut instinct Andre that it, that is what it is then you speak you speak to that doctor and just don't let them rest until they have done all the tests necessary and they have come to a diagnosis I was misdiagnosed 
with a chronic illness for six years because I just took the doctor's word for it. When the doctor assured me, no, 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 it's not what you think it is. It's no, no, it's, it's just, it's just this, it's, it's osteoarthritis, it happens, nothing to worry about. And it was six years before another doctor completely by accident said, they've made a mistake. Um, and this is a lot more serious and you need to do this and you need to do that. And finally, I started being, being treated for the right illness and have been doing so much better ever since. So absolutely just trust your gut with this. Um, Philip is saying his son, <laughs> he's recently taken to banging on closed doors in the house shouting, FBI, open up. It's driving me crazy. Oh, gosh. Um, you do realise uh, when my children watched The Great Escape during lockdown, I got them to watch a classic film every day. Um, to, not every day, so every week. It was, it was one of our lockdown treats was, you know, we'd close the curtains, get the popcorn out, and I'd play them. They, we'd watch Chariots of Fire, Robin Hood, you name it. And when they watched The Great Escape, they all started um, giving each other code names and things like that, you know, brains and intelligence and stuff. Um, yes, it, it did uh, did get a bit exhausting. At least they didn't try to you know, pull up the floorboards and start digging tunnels out of the house. Dr. Torres saying, we watched everything in the 70s and 80s. I'm well adjusted, LOL, I think. Um Yes, uh, I'm quite careful because I actually watched a lot of things as a child I really shouldn't have watched just because you know, nobody was nobody was supervising. I mean, it was just the way it was. And a lot of the time I was watching so-called historical films. And because it was history and it was true, wasn't it? Nobody stopped to check if it was really suitable. And I saw some really, really, really violent films. Peter the Great. Yes, he was quite a nasty person, wasn't he? Well, I learned a lot about Peter the Great. I wish I hadn't watched that scene, that reenactment of all the Cossacks being butchered. I, I really wish I hadn't seen that. And the thing where they're all being hanged in the in the square, I can't remember which particular enemy of the Tsar that was, um, and the really incredibly sadistic assassination scene especially haunted me afterwards. Um, I think sometimes you know, if you watch things that are just not appropriate, it, it can genuinely be quite damaging. So I'm, I'm a little bit overly cautious, perhaps. Um, Jeffy Mann saying, who was it who said history doesn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes? Who was it who said that? I don't know that version. Uh, Maggie's saying, Andre, oh no, prayer's definitely coming your way. Um, seriously, and Andre, you know, hope you are are better soon, and that you get to, get to the bottom of what the problem is. And definitely, we're all praying. Um, oh, Scotty Bobby's asking, did you have any rings showing up on your skin early on? Um, yes, um, yes, that's a that's a, a point. In fact, because usually with uh, with a Lyme disease, the first thing you see it's it, they describe it over here as a bullseye rash it looks like it literally does look like a bullseye there's a sort of dot with a ring around it um it's the first warning sign uh, i don't know if you remember anything like that oh sorry ct is connecticut sorry um yes i'm getting there don't worry i'm, I'm picking them up um andre saying thank you for your prayers paul c prayers for you one definitely can't trust most doctors and should do their own homework i mean the problem i find is over here gps in particular are so overworked that they they do just miss things. You know, you have a 10 minute appointment and unless you're showing very typical symptoms, they will tend to just brush it off. And what happened in my case was that 
my illness was not manifesting itself in the most obvious way. So the the markers they would have expected to find weren't there, but it took another doctor who was a bit more uh, proactive to say, no, there's obviously something wrong. And even if, if these markers aren't showing, then something else must be triggering it, you know, and really, really pushing to find answers. Uh, but I think it's, yeah, it's been, it's really difficult. Um, Andre saying, my wife has been researching like crazy. Yes, that's always my husband's job in this family because of his biochemist background. Uh, whenever anyone gets ill, he's he's there on the internet looking up all the scholarly papers. Um, I'm usually too much of a wuss to, to read these things. Uh, Mary's dowry praying for you too, Andre. Andre saying, I do not remember rings. I had ticks on me on a number of occasions that in itself may be a cause for concern something certainly to mention the doctor by the way I'm, this is not a medical program i'm not a doctor i'm just i'm just saying you know tick tick bites have always worried me because where i live in the summer we do get a lot of ticks particularly in the woodland and in the long grass and it's something that there are signs everywhere in the summer saying check your pets check your children check yourself every time you go out for a walk try to wear long sleeves um cover cover up your legs just to minimize the chance of a tick bite and my dog's had at least one you know it's it's just one of those things it's always on my radar over the summer i'm always checking over the children when we get get home for any kind of a walk um and they are horrible creatures. They're arachnids, by the way, ticks. Um, so related to my least favourite eight-legged creature. Um, so, yes, not nice and potentially very dangerous. So uh, Andre saying, thank you for your concern, everyone. God bless you. Yeah, we, we look out for one another here. We should, we, should, we should do that and certainly pray. OK, but I'm sure it seems to me your wife is on the case. So I'm sure everything will turn out right. Let's end on a really positive story. Has everyone been following this story of the Indian miners who were trapped for 17 days when a Himalayan tunnel collapsed? 41 workers have been freed. They um, drilled uh, like a sort of, uh, well, it was, it was through a pipe. Kind of thing. So it was a three-foot pipe, not particularly wide, but they they used hand drills in the end to get through, and they got them out via this pipe. No one was injured. They were all in good health. They managed to get water and food and medication down through um, through a tube to them. So they weren't, you know, in a completely desperate situation. But as you can imagine, being trapped for 17 days must have been really terrifying. Um, but they, they managed, they all kept, managed to keep their heads, kept in good spirits, and their families were all waiting for them outside praying. So just uh, such a beautiful story. And the pictures of the miners being brought to the surface, it's just so moving so if you if you want something to really cheer you up there's so much bad news everywhere this is just beautiful the miners are greeted with garlands and sweets uh, local residents are setting off firecrackers um it must have been it, it's been the end of a very very anxious time for a lot of people um jacqueline said had three wild turkeys cross right in front of me i guess they know they're safe for now um and prayers for you, Andre. Yes, I bet turkey. Mind you, mind you turkeys. They've got a, they've got a few hoops to jump through, haven't they? I mean, they dodge. If they dodge the bullet of of Thanksgiving, they've got Christmas coming. So you know, I'd imagine this is a dicey time of year for the turkey population. Um, 
Foxes, on the other hand, are absolutely fine. There's a family of foxes living right opposite me who are the most arrogant creatures ever. They know they've got parliamentary protection. They know they can rootle through my bins and I can't do anything about it. Mike, are you there? They can go through your stuff? Foxes, they're evil. They just they just pillage everything. They, they knock over dustbins. Well, maybe, um, maybe the ticks will get them. Oh, I hate ticks. Horrible things. I did not know that ticks were arachnids. Yes, apparently. And if you look closely, they do sort of look no, like No, I'm not going to get close enough to look at one. No, you, you don't really want to inspect them, but I had to remove one from my dog. Um, Tick, and, uh, yes, ticks uh, here carry a disease called rickets. Ricket, uh, it's Lyme disease. Is the What's thing Lyme disease? Rickets, uh, also mm. known as Rocky Mountain Fever. Oh, I hadn't heard it called that. Okay. Uh, Rocky Mountain Fever. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty much the same thing. Yes, ticks are, uh, you're told uh, when you go out into the woods or any of the national or state parks, um, uh, especially in the height of summer, and if you went out with any of your skin uncovered, mm. that uh, you should look for ticks. Yeah. Including in places where it might have caught, it might have jumped on your body where the skin is uncovered, and now it's crawled up uh, into your knickers, as you would say. <laughs> oh no! <laughs> well, they hide. They hide. You always go gross. I'm not. That's not gross. <laughs> it's so gross. You are so gross. Yeah. In some, it's usually arms and legs people worry about. Now wait a minute. Now we have a, we have a crisis of definition here. I say knickers are the are the uh, mid uh, mid calf length short uh, short pants no. that golfers wear. No, no, wear. no, 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 no. Knickers, knickers are underpants. Ah, uh, no, no. That's that's English. That's English slang. Yes. You can buy a pair of golf knickers. Look it up. Oh, there's a there's there is a <laughs> basketball team in it used to be in the United States a professional basketball team the New York Knickerbockers. God, that would sound so hilarious over here. <laughs> so you can um, you can get uh, there's a, a, a special kind of ice cream here called a Knickerbocker Glory. See. Um, but no, no knickers are different from knickerbockers. Okay, so the knickerbockers are different. Okay, so they'll get up in your knickerbockers. Oh gosh. Oh dear. <laughs> what about your 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 undershirt? Your that's t-shirt. A that's a no, no, no. An undershirt is a vest. No, uh, a vest is a waistcoat. No, it isn't. <laughs> Someone help me. Okay, uh, ask Gavin Ashenden what a what a what a vest is. Gavin Ashenden will be on my side. Gavin Ashenden uh, complimented me for wearing waistcoats. Yes. Yes. Waist I said vest, and he said, no, no, it's, it's a waistcoat. Exactly. It is a waistcoat. It's not a vest. Okay. So look if in you, your if waistcoat. You, if, you, if you go around in your vest, if a man goes around in his vest over here, he's a slob. Well, uh, I would not be fancied a slob, I do not believe. I don't think so, no. When I am fighting this horrible, Maggie gave me this horrible, horrible, hideous uh, upper respiratory infection. I don't know where she got it from, maybe from her parents. Uh, but uh, today, uh, yesterday was the worst day for me. Right. So oh, today dear. I'm on the, uh, t t today I'm kind of on the mend. Right. Can you really do a show? You, you, you sound completely clear. No, I'm not complete. I would not be cutting commercial spots today because I'd listen to them a, a week from now and they, and I, they would be deplorable. I'd have to redo them.
Right. Oh dear. I'm sorry you're unwell. There's a lo- lot of stuff about though. So, so Washington Irving solidified the Knickerbocker name in New York when he wrote about the satiric history of New York from the beginning of the world to the end, uh, the Dutch dynasty under the pseudonym Diedrich Knickerbocker, <laughs> later known as Knickerbocker's History of, of New York. You know, I know this because it's in the bio that I wrote, uh, Washington Irving for Life of Washington, <laughs> the book that I put back into print. See, there's a pa- there, there, there's a parent. That's what I meant to say, Knickerbockers. No, that is not at all. Knickers means something completely different here, okay? okay. Well, uh, we have a language gap. We, we do have uh, an interesting... But by the um, way, you can... Yes, ticks can be can get in wherever. Let's just put, yeah. leave it at that. Ticks can go wherever they want. Yeah, why don't we just leave it at that? Yes, exactly, yes. So you should always be on guard against, uh, uh, against ticks. Mm. Yes, I mean, they, they're always... I mean, over here, they have posters up um, right through the summer months uh, warning people just to check if they've been in woodland... Anything like woodland or long grass, you know, it's, it's yes, and to make sure they get to hospital quickly. There was a child at my children's school who, uh, you know, he'd just come out of the playground and one of the other mothers went, look, I'm sorry, but he's got the bullseye rash on his arm. Um, you better get him to hospital. And the mother took him straight to accident emergency and got him on antibiotics because otherwise he could have got really ill. It, 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 it's interesting. You say hospital. Here we would say the hospital. Yes, you say, you say, I've got to go to hospital. Yes, and in yeah. French you would say l'hôpital. Yes, but they, they put articles everywhere. Um, it's, it's one of those those things, you know, for a lot of French speakers when they're learning English, they'll, they'll, put, they'll, put, they'll put the ev- all over the place. Um, and you, you have to say, no, no, you don't have to say it that way. It's, um, it's, a, it's a linguistic quirk. Yeah, it's one of those. Um, uh, uh, I'm still learning my French, uh, the French grammar, uh, masculine. Good, good. Well, the masculine and feminine, the difference between la and le, uh, la, le, le, mm-hmm. la, le, les, when to yeah. use it, when not to use it, uh, it, it, when to use l apostrophe, the noun. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes, well, it's, but, uh, it's a complex. Like, it's a beautiful language, though. Keep keep. What's well, actually it's helping complex. me with my English? Because you know, if you study Latin, your grammar will improve. Oh yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, my daughter's learning. She because she's learning French. She's learning the uh, the conditional at the moment. The what? The conditional. You know, if I was to. You know. Oh, okay. All right. So, yeah. so in 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 Latin, it it comes to uh, to us in the um in in it's so complicated. There's the infinitive. There's the infinitive participle. <laughs> there, there, there is. Well, do you mean it's going to happen in the future, or do you mean now? I mean, it all makes sense, but it's, uh, uh, English took all this together. And went. We don't need all those stupid rules. Let's do this. <laughs> um, well. I think the thing with Latin, it's got a lot of rules. Yes. But once, you, once you've learned the rules, it's a very regular language. You know, once you've learned the rules, it's quite straightforward. It's, it's, English is complicated because it's so irregular. Now, Advent will begin this Sunday uh, for you. Uh, well, mm-hmm. I assume it begins uh, the same um, in, in Great Britain. You were talking yesterday about someone that got up in front of your church congregation and talked after the mass? 
Well, no, that what they do sometimes is at the end of mass, but before the final blessing, they will invite people up to talk about some charitable event or something like this. And I don't like it because I think the focus should be on the mass. And if um, if someone comes up and says, OK, um, there's a collection at the end of mass for such and such a charity, God bless, and just leaves, it's one thing. But just occasionally you get someone who is very, very fond of the sound of his own voice. Mm. Who just who just talks and talks and won't stop, and it's it's exhausting and actually quite I, I feel quite an insult, but that's just me. Well, I think that those announcements should happen before. Yes, they could very easily happen before. We do them they before. Could, yeah, they they could very easily happen before. It just doesn't it doesn't have to distract attention. The like only that. the only exception to that would be if there is a priest, an actual someone who actually has holy orders, who mm. is visiting the parish. And yes. is a missionary, and then might deliver the. He might read the gospel, um, uh, and then do the homily. Right, that's the yes. only exception. And at the end of his homily, he may say, "Oh, and by the way, there's a basket at the back. If you here's our mission. This is our charism. This is what we do. Thank you yeah. uh, in advance for any support that you can give to us." Hmm. That's I understand. No, yes. we don't have any issue with that. Hmm. And we get a few of those, in fact, usually missionary orders or, or whatever. And you know, they and quite often as well, they will. Uh, afterwards, they will make themselves available so people have questions and things like that outside of the church. You know, they'll be you know for during the tea and coffee afterwards. Okay, they'll, so they'll also hang around. Yeah. Now, before you uh, before you, uh, before you go, um, what is this? Uh, I <laughs> I go to the Daily Mail every day. I don't know why. Uh, it's a tabloid rag. Who is. is Omid Scobie, and why is this book <sighs> causing such a ro a, a row? Well, it's it's yet another having an. Dicks can be can get in wherever. Let's just put yeah. leave it at that. Dicks can go wherever they want. Yeah. Why do we just leave it at that? Yes, exactly. Yes. So you should always be on guard against uh, uh, against ticks. Mm. Yes, I mean they they always. I mean over here they have posters up um, right through the summer months. Uh, warning people just to check if they've been in woodland, anything like woodland or long grass. You know, it's, it's yes, yeah, and, and to make sure they get to hospital quickly. There was a child at my children's school who, uh, you know, he'd just come out of the playground, and one of the other mothers went, "Look, I'm sorry, but he's got the bullseye rash on his arm. Um, you better get him to hospital." And the mother took him straight to accident emergency and got him on antibiotics because otherwise he could have got really ill. It, 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 it's interesting. You say hospital. Here we would say the hospital. Yes, you say, you say I've got to go to hospital. Yes, and in yeah. French you would say l'hôpital. Yes, but they, they put articles everywhere. Um, it's, it's one of those those things, you know, for a lot of French speakers when they're learning English, they'll, they'll put... They put they put the ev all over the place, um, and you, you have to say no, no, you don't have to say it that way. It's um, it's, a, it's a linguistic quirk. Yeah, it's one of those. Um, uh, uh, I'm still learning my French, uh, the French grammar, uh, masculine. Good, good. Well, the masculine and feminine, the difference between la and le, uh, la le le, mm -hmm. l a l e l e s. When to yeah. use it, when not to use it, uh, it, 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 when to use l apostrophe the noun. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes. Well, it's, but, uh, it's a complex, it's a beautiful language, though. Keep, keep at it. Well, it's actually helping me with my English, because, you know, if you study Latin, your grammar will improve. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yes. Um, my daughter's learning, because she, she's learning French, she's learning the, uh, the conditional at the moment. The what? The conditional, you know, if I was to, 
you know. Oh, okay, all right. So, yeah. so in 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 Latin, it it comes to uh, to us in the um in in it's so complicated. There's the infinitive. There's the infinitive participle. <laughs> there, there, there is. Well, do you mean it's going to happen in the future, or do you mean now? I mean, it all makes sense, but it's, uh, uh, English took all this together and went, we don't need all those stupid rules. Let's do this. <laughs> um, well... I think the thing with Latin, it's got a lot of rules. Yes. But once you once you've learned the rules, it's a very regular language. You know, once you've learned the rules, it's quite straightforward. It's it's English is complicated because it's so irregular. Now, Advent will begin this Sunday uh, for you. Uh, well, mm -hmm. uh, I assume it begins uh, the same um, in in Great Britain. You were talking yesterday about someone that got up in front of your church congregation and talked. After the Mass? Well, no, that what they do is sometimes it's at the end of Mass, but before the final blessing, they will invite people up to talk about some charitable event or something like this. And I don't like it because I think the focus should be on the Mass. And if um, if someone comes up and says, okay, um, there's a collection at the end of Mass for such and such a charity, God bless, and just leaves, it's one thing. But just occasionally you get someone who is very, very fond of the sound of his own voice. Who just who just talks and talks and won't stop and it's it's exhausting and actually quite I, I feel quite an insult but that's just me. Well, I think that those announcements should happen before. Yes, they could very easily happen before. We do them they before. Could, yeah, they they could very easily happen before. It just doesn't it doesn't have to distract attention. The like only that. the only exception to that would be if there is a priest, an actual someone who actually has holy orders, who mm. is visiting the parish. And yes. is a missionary, and then might deliver the. He might read the gospel, um, uh, and then do the homily. Right, that's the yes. only exception. And at the end of his homily, he may say, "Oh, and by the way, there's a basket at the back. If you here's our mission. This is our charism. This is what we do. Thank you yeah. uh, in advance for any support that you can give to us." Hmm. That's what I understand. No, yes. we don't have any issue with that. Hmm. And we get a few of those, in fact, usually missionary orders or, or whatever. And you know, they and quite often as well, they will. Uh, afterwards, they will make themselves available so people have questions and things like that outside of the church. You know, they'll be you know for during the tea and coffee afterwards. Okay, they'll, so they'll also hang around. Yeah. Well, now, before you uh, before you, uh, before you go, um, what is this? Uh, I <laughs> I go to the Daily Mail every day. I don't know why. Uh, it's a tabloid rag. Who is. is Omid Scobie, and why is this book <sighs> causing such a uh, a row? Well, it's it's yet another having an it's yet another attack on the royals. Okay. Um, so he's the author of the book. Yes, um, and he's making a number of allegations. What it's actually been described as is pretty much a, a recycling of things that have been written before. Um, but there are they seemed he seems to be going after Kate Middleton, which is. A bad move because she is, in fact, very popular. I like her. Um, so I, I don't know quite how this is going to play out, but it does seem very vindictive. So I'm just, uh, I just find it tiring. I just, I just wish they would, I wish they would leave Kate alone because she's a completely inoffensive person who's just trying to do her royal duty, in, in, as far in, as I can in, make out. In one of my daughter and I's a trip to St. Andrews, and we made two, uh, on one of the trips, we got a, a tour of one of the school buildings and uh, the person that was giving the tour 
told us, uh, uh, oh, we were recently, we had some very famous, some um, famous alumni, and he, he gave her maiden name. He said Kate Middleton. And nobody got it. And I went, Princess Kate went here? Mm. <laughs> so, they, they so no, they both went to St. Andrews. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's where they met. Yes. Um, well, 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 there's there, there, there's kind of a little, uh, the, I'm trying to remember where I saw it. It's kind of a little display there that kind of tells how they met there and that they were students at St. Andrews. Um, uh, so, yes, I knew her as Kate. I was probably the only one in the whole tour group when she's when they said Kate Middleton. I, who knew? My, my daughter kind of like, who's Kate Middleton? I went, yeah, that's the princess. What is, what's wrong with you? Well, I don't know <laughs> or the duchess still- or whatever she is. Yeah. Um, I don't know why, really, they would still refer to her that way. It's like it would be like calling Princess Diana Diana Spencer. You know, it just it, she she she's famous for being someone else now. But <laughs> the thing is, uh, the way I see it, Mike, is that a woman's place is in the wrong, and when a woman marries into the royal family, whatever she does, she will be criticised. Sure. So, if like Princess Michael or even Princess Diana, you've got a lot to say for yourself. The media say, oh, why won't they just shut up? They're so gobby. Who do they think they are? If, like uh, Princess Catherine, you keep your head down, you do your royal duties, you're beautifully photogenic, you just get on with it. Oh, you're obviously just playing the system by keeping your mouth shut. I mean, whatever they do, they will always be portrayed in a bad light. Well, I I just think. Yeah, if I had to be stuck on a desert island with any of them, I, I would pick Kate and Andrew. Yeah. Kate and, Kate and William. Wait, Kate and William. I mean, Kate and William, yes. Um, all right, we have to get to our contest. We will see you on Friday, God willing. Indeed. Um, have a wonderful day. It is 27 minutes past the hour. You have been listening to The Early Show with your hostess, Fiorella Di Maria. Don't forget to write to me at Fiorella at crusadechannel.com and the chat room is open for your commentary at crusadechannel.com forward slash chat. I will now leave you with the king dude, Mike Church himself. You're listening to the Crusade Channel. Talk show radio the way it should be. (laughs) 